Colossians chapter 3. And this morning we're going to be focusing on giving our attention to verses 18 and 19. Verses 18 and 19. Verses 18 and 19. Read with me. Wives, submit to your husbands as is fitting in the Lord. Husbands, love your wives and do not be harsh with them. Pray with me. Father, we are incredibly grateful for you. We are especially thankful for the work um, and all that you've achieved for us in Jesus Christ. We're thankful for him um, and all that he's done. We're also thankful for your word um, and your truth, which not only helps us know you and your son more, but it also helps us know how to live um, with each other. And so, Father, as we discover um, what it looks like for um, um, a marriage that reflects um, your purposes, uh, may you help me, first of all, um, to communicate your truth um, without compromise. Uh, may you also help all of us um, to not only listen naturally, but may your spirit bring about understanding. Uh, may your spirit bring about um, conviction, if needed. And may your spirit bring about comfort um, and clarity. And so we need you during this time. And may your will be done in our lives. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Amen. As many of you are aware, Eleanor and I um, arrived in America in 2010 um, with four suitcases. And that was our first time in America. And in <laughs> getting to know the American culture, it was interesting. We realized, um, especially in San Southern California, that In-N-Out burgers um, were awesome. Um, and we also got to discover Chick-fil-A and all of those um, great, amazing fast food restaurants. And the reason why those stand out to us is because we don't have them in England. We have McDonald's and all of that. In fact, my father-in-law and um, sister-in-law are in town, and out of all the places they could have eaten, they went to McDonald's the other day. And, <laughs> and we were like, why did you come all the way here to go to McDonald's? But anyway, um, in Discovering America, we also discovered that there were some interesting um, combinations when it comes to food. Um, for example, um, being here, we discovered that um, waffles and chicken um, are a thing that you have together, which I've grown to love. It's one of my favorite meals. But you can imagine a Brit coming and thinking, waffles, chicken, what are waffles? Oh, Belgium waffles, you know, and, and chicken, I, I don't know. And so that was a weird combina combination. Um, there were other weird combinations. There was Walmart having an you know a mechanic and like having like a whole automobile 
thing in a whole, I mean, it's incredible. Kat is over there. She's British and she's nodding her head. There was just a lot. The other thing that was a weird combination was um, ATM machines and drive through Like, we were like amazed by that. Absolutely just blown away by that. Um, in fact, um, apart from all of those things, you guys know this, that there are many um, more food combinations that sound gross, but are apparently taste amazing. All right, peanut butter and hamburger. I've heard is an amazing combination. Who's had that before here? Anyone? No? Oh, gosh, yeah. <laughs> Good. Exactly. <laughs> apparently, it's amazing. Um, what about Cheetos and milk? Anyone? Cheetos and milk? Apparently, that is amazing. <laughs> All right, this one's an interesting one. What about frosted flakes with cheese? Apparently, it sounds gross, but it's amazing. <laughs> um, and the last but not least, what about vegan bacon? Oh, vegan. <laughs> See, vegan and bacon, I don't know, but apparently I heard it tastes just like bacon kind of thing. Um, <laughs> these are combinations that don't seem um, to mesh well, that don't seem to combine well, but are apparently um, an amazing, delicious combination. Um, our passage for today, um, what it does is it calls wives to submit and husbands to love in the context of a marriage relationship. Similar um, to the list of food combinations above these two commands, may seem like they can never work together. The idea of a wife submitting in marriage, the idea of, you know, all of that, they just don't seem like they mix together. But our passage for this morning will prove otherwise. We'll see that submission and love in the context of marriage, if understood correctly, are a perfect, and may I say delicious, uh, combination for any marriage. So with that in mind, we begin our time this morning with a somewhat controversial statement in our post-Christian culture. And the statement um, is found in verse 18 and is as follows. Wives, submit to your husbands as is fitting in the Lord. In the ancient world, the command for wives to submit was not a foreign or controversial concept. In fact, the husband back then was the head of the household. He was the person in charge. He was the head honcho, if you will. He was top of the pecking order. And because of his status in the family, every member of the family was expected to obey him. So what is being asked of wives Right, right here in the ancient culture in the first century wasn't a challenge um, to the cultural norm at all. It wasn't. It was perfectly normal for wives and other members of the family to submit to the head of the household, the husband. But in our day and age, the command for wives to submit to their hobbies almost always comes with negative connotations of oppression and the devaluing of women. Submission has kind of become a dirty word in our culture. If all of us were to go out on the streets of San Diego and conduct an interview 
um, with some of the locals um, and ask them um, about the fact that how wives need to submit to their husbands. What I'm certain of is that many people, the people we interact with, will view the idea of submission in marriage as something that is outdated, something that is bizarre, um, something that is frowned upon. A pastor in San Diego, after reading this verse, same verse, received the following note in the offering basket. This was the note. It said, when you consider how women have been oppressed for centuries, how could you read from the pulpit a text that serves only to perpetuate that oppression? And these reactions to submission are totally understandable. And this is because this verse and other verses that are similar to it in the Bible that instruct women to submit have been misused by men to abuse and take advantage of women. So this morning, it is my hope that as we discover afresh what it truly means for wives to submit to their husbands in a way that is fitting to the Lord, and for husbands to love their wives and not be harsh towards them, we will come to know that this command is actually part of God's beautiful plan and design for the flourishing of men and women, the family, and society. It is also my hope that our reflection this morning will bring about the needed healing for some of us who have, been, who have experienced the negativity that comes with submission. And so you guys, you guys ready? Yeah? All right. The ancient Greek word used here in verse 18 for submit is hypotasso. It means to subject oneself. It carries the idea of a person putting themselves under the leadership of another person, not because they have to, but because they want to. This means that the context, uh, this means that in the context of marriage, wives are expected to recognize um, the leadership role of their husband and willingly submit and put themselves under that leadership. Now, if this command was to stop here, as in if it was to simply say, wives, submit to your husbands, uh, there would be lots more confusion and hostility than there already has been towards the topic of submission. More needs to be said about submission. And the Apostle Paul, who's the author of this letter to a church in a first century city called Colossae, under the inspiration of the Holy Spirit, does just that. He says more. He concludes this command with a key phrase that explains why it is necessary for wives to submit to their husbands. Look at verse 18 again. It says, wives submit to your husbands. And he concludes with this phrase, as is fitting in the Lord. The phrase, as is fitting in the Lord, has been, unexpectedly, the center of much debate. Some have suggested 
that it means that a wife should submit to her husband as if he was God himself. This view is absolutely baloney. It's bogus. Still, others would say that as is fitting in the Lord means that a wife is supposed to only submit to her husband as long as what her husband is telling her to do does not contradict the will of God. This second interpretation makes sense. It's partly true. But it's not the point this verse aims to make. In fact, this last phrase does not limit the, sub, um, the, the, the submission of the wife, the wife, but explains why it is necessary. Did you guys get that? A wife is expected to submit not because it's the cultural norm, um, but because submission is an attitude and behavior that is fitting for those who are in the Lord. In other words, a wife's submission to her husband is part and parcel of her Christian faith. Therefore, if a Christian wife refuses to submit to her husband, she's not only neglecting her responsibility as a wife, She's also overlooking her responsibility as a follower and disciple of Jesus. Wives, just as prayer, your daily Bible reading, attending and serving your local church, is expected of you as a follower of Jesus, submission to your husband is also part of your duty to the Lord. And this is mainly because submission is an expression of your submission to the Lord. David Guzik, who's a Bible teacher, is so insightful here. And this is what he says. He says, this means that the command to submit is completely out of the realm of my nature or my personality. Wives aren't expected to submit because they're the submissive type. They're expected to submit because it's fitting in the Lord. From Ephesians 5, um, verse 22 to 33, which is more of a detailed version of this verse we've been looking at, John Piper um, provides us with this awesome definition of submission. He says this, Submission um, is the divine calling of a wife to honor and affirm her husband's leadership and help carry it through according to her gifts. It's the disposition to follow a hus husband's authority and an inclination to yield to his leadership. It is an attitude that says, I delight for you to take the initiative in our family. I'm glad when you take responsibility for things and, I, and, and lead with love. I don't flourish in the relationship when you are passive and have to make sure the family works. In view of this, Piper also provides us with a summary of what submission is not. He says, submission does not mean agreeing with everything your husband says. It does not mean leaving your brain or your will at the wedding altar. 
Submission does not mean avoiding every effort to change a husband. Submission does not mean putting the will of the husband before the will of Christ. Submission does not mean that a wife gets her personal spiritual strength primarily through her husband. Finally, submission, John Piper says, does not mean that a wife is to act out of fear. It's what submission is not. And I'm incredibly thankful and grateful that I have a wife, and she's going to hate that I'm highlighting her and bringing her up, that has modeled um, what it looks like um, to submit. And let me give you guys an example. And it involves um, a teapot. So one day, um, a while ago, um, we were at seminary. And when you're at seminary, you're just like, you just don't have any money. You know, you're, everything's going to tuition and all the costs and everything. And, um, you know, my wife, who's incredibly hospitable because she's Greek and Greeks are incredibly hospitable. If you come to our house, you're going to leave with something, okay? Um, the other day, a young man named Carlos came to our house and he left with a bag of rice and peanut butter. Again, <laughs> Weird combination, but he loves it. Um, so, great hospitable, and so she said, "Hey, I wanna, I want us to get like a teapot and a whole tea um, set, you know, with the cups and everything." And I said, "Man, like I wish we could, but we don't have the money. But let's talk about it." And so we talked about it, and she said, "Yeah, I think we could." And I was like, "No, we just can't." And she was like, "Yeah, actually, and I just we just can't. I don't think." And she was like, "You know, you make the decision." And so I tried to think about it, and I did, and I came back, and I'm like, "I'm so sorry, but you can't have your tea set. We just don't have." the money for it, okay? And she responded in an awesome way. And she, she just said, hey, I trust you. And um, yeah, I'm just trusting the Lord. About two days, not long after, a friend comes to visit, okay? And apparently, yeah, when I got home, my wife is telling me, yeah, my friend came and visited. And guess what she gave me as a gift? And I was like, What? Did she give you as a gift? And she said she gave me a blue teapot, right, with the British flag on it. <laughs> right? And I was like, oh, my God, that's amazing. And I tell you ladies that story to let you know that submitting to the leadership of your husband is a God ordained thing. It really is. And when you do, God will bless you and surprise you in the most unexpected way, even if it involves a blue teapot. Next, a man's submission, um, a woman's submission to their own husbands is what they're called to. It is a biblical um, and healthy uh, motivation when they think about who they are in Christ. But what is awesome, it's going to get better, is that in verse 19, right? In verse 19, we see an additional motivation for submission. Um, this verse, what it does is that it adds fuel and stamina to a wife's submission in marriage. 
when I was studying this, and I started with verse 18, I didn't really see it, but studying verse 18 and 19 together is incredible. It not only provides us with what a husband is supposed to do, right? It also indirectly um, helps wives um, provide wives with more motivation for submission. Let's look at verse 19. It says, husbands, love your wives and do not be harsh with them. This verse right here, like I said, not only speaks of the role of her husband in marriage, but also gives another compelling reason why a Christian woman should willingly and joyfully submit to her husband. As we've discovered, the command for wives to submit was not a big deal in the first century. It was what wives were doing anyway. And so for, for Paul, who's the author, as he's speaking to a first century crowd, if he says, wife, submit to your husbands, they're like, okay, right? What it was different was as is fitting in the Lord. That was what was different about it. But wives were submit um, to, um, wives were already submitting to their husband. But what we're about to find out is that the command for husbands to love their wives and do, and do not be harsh with them was kind of controversial 2,000 years ago because the call for husbands to love their wives was in contrast to cultural norms back then. And the reason why is, in Paul's day, women were considered possessions. They were, quite frankly, replaceable. When a man died, his inheritance went to his son, not his wife. A man could have as many wives as he wanted, but a woman could have only one husband. A man could divorce his wife for any reason at all, but a woman could never initiate a divorce from her husband. Women weren't allowed to hold a political office or pursue a career. They were, in pagan Roman society, second-class citizens. A slave could be given freedom and eventually become a Roman citizen with full rights of citizenship. But back then, the first century, women could not. And so, this command was a bit of a shock to the system for most men back then. All right, you guys remember, Paul writes this letter to a church in Colossae. How does that, church, how does that letter, okay, he writes in prison, get to the people of Colossae? It's a messenger. Someone physically takes it. They didn't have UPS um, or FedEx back then. They didn't have that. And so an individual actually is the messenger, carries it. And when they get to the congregation, when they get to the church, what happens is um, um, they, they transmit the content of that letter through speech. Back then, there was no printing press. And so what the church did was get together and say, man, we've just received a letter from Paul. And then you had one person reading it to the rest of the congregation. They would read the letter. And I'm sure they would memorize it and everything, right? And that was what would happen. So I can imagine, okay, several husbands in the audience, when they heard wives submit to your husbands and all of those, you know, wives are like, okay, in the Lord, absolutely. But when Paul says, husbands, love your wives and do not be harsh to them, you can always imagine how shocked they were be. 
they, they, they were, all right? Um, as this part of the letter is being read. I can imagine there being extreme silence, silence so extreme you could hear, pin drop and everything. And this command was incredibly challenging for the husbands in those days. It was challenging for men in the ancient world, partly because of cultural reasons. And it was also challenging for them because of the kind of love they were expected to demonstrate to their wives. And not only them, but the call to love our wives and not be harsh towards them is a demanding task for us as husbands who live in the 21st century. It really is. And this is why. This is why. The word love here initiates, right, indicates a continuous action. This means husbands are expected to maintain an ongoing love for their wives. This practically means that husbands are called to love their wives in every season. When she's physically attractive to you or she's physically not as appealing to you. When um, your wife is respectful towards you and she views you as a knight in shining armor or when she disrespects you. When she irritates you. When she overspends when she is young and when she is old, when she is healthy or when she is sick. Husbands, that's what the word love means. Husbands are expected to love their wives in every season. The love expected from husbands towards their wives should be resolute and unwavering. It should be continuous. should be in every season. Also, the kind of love being described here it's not the love of passion or emotion, but the love of choice. A covenant kind of love, says John MacArthur. David Guzik again further explains this. He says, the word has little to do with emotion. It has much to do with self-denial for the sake of another. It is a love that loves without changing. It is a self-giving love that gives without demanding or expecting repayment. It is love so great that it can be given to the unlovable or unappealing. It is love that loves even when it is rejected. Agape, which this is love means, right, gives and loves because it wants to. It does not demand or expect repayment from the love given, it gives because it loves. It does not love in order to receive. And this is the way husbands are to love their wives. He goes on to say, and this is awesome, David uses it, that is, he says, we can read this passage and think that Paul means husband, be kind to your wife. Or husband, be nice to your wife. There is no doubt that for many marriages, this would be a huge improvement. But that isn't what Paul writes about. What he really means is husbands continually practice self-denial for the sake of your wife. In other words, the kind of love husbands are commanded to demonstrate to their wives is love that is modeled after and motivated 
by the sacrificial love of Jesus Christ. Ephesians 5, 22 to 23 beautifully describes this kind of love, okay? Husbands are called to love their wives the same way Jesus loves them. This kind of love continues to love even when the object of our love does not deserve it. And this is the kind of love husbands are expected to demonstrate to their wives. They're supposed to look at Jesus and see how Jesus has loved and cared and been patient towards them and express or transmit or transfer that kind of love to their wives. Husbands are not only called to love their wives in this way, they're also instructed not to be harsh with them, verse 19 tells us. The form of this Greek verb um, um, is better translated, stop being bitter or do not have the habit of being bitter. In other words, husbands are commanded to love their wives sacrificially. They're also commanded to avoid being harsh on loving or resentful towards them. So, this is what's going on. In verse 18, we discovered that the primary reason why a wife is to submit to her husband is because of her faith. It's because she's a Christian. Submission is an attitude and behavior that is fitting for wives who profess to be followers of Jesus. So in verse 19, what we just discovered was that husbands are commanded to love their wives sacrificially and avoid being harsh on loving or resentful towards them. Therefore, verse 19 not only provides us, men, husbands, with a command to love our wives, but, verse 19, also provides motivation for wives when it comes to submission. Wives are motivated to submit, not just because, you know, they're Christian, but also because of the sacrificial love and leadership of their husbands. Men, your wife will voluntarily place herself under your authority, support your leadership, adapt her plans and priorities according to your direction, not because of scare tactics or manipulation or fear. Men, your wife will willingly and joyfully submit to you when you love her the way Jesus has and continues to love you. One commentator states it this way. He says, if a wife is asked to submit, it is to the husband's love, not to his tyranny. So this is what's happening. We have some young people in our church who are going to get married to. Okay? And this will apply to you. Okay? So, every time two genuine Believers stand before friends and families, exchange vows, exchange rings, exchange kisses. What is happening is that the bride is making a commitment 
to not only be faithful in sickness and in health, in good times and in bad times, um, to her groom, but she's also making a commitment to submit to her groom, her future husband, in a way that is fitting to the Lord. And what compels a woman to do this, to make such a commitment, is not just because that's what her Lord and Savior commands, that's part of it, but also the reason why a lady makes such a decision to her future husband is also because making a commitment um, in this way um, helps her. What happens is that as she's making this commitment, she's making a commitment knowing that her husband, future husband, is making a commitment to love her in the way Jesus Christ has and continues to love him. This is what compels a woman to commit her entire life to a man and his leadership. The call for men to love their wives like Christ loves them is absolutely challenging. The call for women to submit um, to, to the leadership um, of a man is equally as challenging. So, this is some advice to all of my single ladies. Listen to this piece of advice from David Guzik. He says, women should take great care in how she chooses her husband. Remember, ladies, this is what God requires of you in marriage. This is his expectation of you. So, ladies, what this means is that instead of looking for an attractive man, instead of looking for a wealthy man, instead of looking for a good-looking man, romantic man, instead of looking for a man who is sweet and who is lovely, and guess what? He loves children, right? Instead of looking for a man like that, this is my encouragement to all the single ladies, you better first look for a man who is utterly in love with Jesus Christ. Ladies, look for a man who has been saved through faith in Jesus Christ. A man mature enough and humble enough to lead biblically. Because it is such a man that will not be perfect, he's not going to be perfect, but will be committed to loving you the way you deserve to be loved. And that is with the unconditional and sacrificial Love of Jesus Christ, the King. Husbands and wives, obeying Jesus can be challenging at times. It can also be counter-cultural. Sometimes we are called to do things in our relationships with other people that we don't necessarily like. But what God teaches us in these verses is that there's a certain way that we're to act in our marriages. And we're to do so even when it's difficult. Edward Schweitzer, a theologian, observes that Christian wisdom and instruction are not always put to the test in times of suffering, but in the everyday situations of life, like in the home. In other words, this is what he's saying, it is in the context of marriage that we learn to control our anger, 
rage, abusive language, and lying so that peace might reign. Last week from verses 11 to 17 of chapter 3, we discovered the character qualities of every believer. You guys remember that. I hope you do. If you don't and you want to go back and listen to the podcast, you can. Shameless plug. It's fine. They... And these character qualities were compassion, kindness, meekness, patience, forgiveness, and love. Okay? That's what we looked at. And if you've been married for a while and you're honest with yourself, these character qualities can be extremely difficult to demonstrate and express and display um, in our lives in general. But they're harder to demonstrate and display in our marriages. They really are. But despite this difficulty, what we do is we have hope. That the new life we have in Jesus empowers wives to Christ-honoring submission. And as David Garland says in his, uh, as David Garland says, it also enables husbands to exercise love that refuses to grow bitter. Blogger Matt Capps says the gospel calls both women and men to play the Jesus role. In marriage, men are called to model sacrificial love and authority, and women called to model voluntary sacrificial submission. Pray with me. Father, our hearts are so deceitful. And so I pray that as we've been exposed to your word, may your truth continue to penetrate our hearts and continue to cleanse away any thought, any word, any intention, any deed um, that was, is not in line with you, especially in our marriages. Father, I pray For every husband and wife here, Father, I pray for all of our marriages. Father, we need to recognize and be okay with the tension of submission and love. We do, but we must also recognize that these two, if understood properly, are a perfect combination and bring about the flourishing and the health of marriages. So, Father, help us as men. Help us as men to love the way we're meant to love. And we can only love like Jesus when we are utterly enamored with Jesus. And so help us as we reflect on Jesus, as we've reflected on him through the sermon, and as we're going to reflect on Jesus throughout our singing. May we grow to know him and we grow to love him more. And as we do, we'll be able to love our wives. And Father, I pray. For all the wives in here, Father, future wives, there's a lot that is discouraging about the topic of submission. There is. And so, Father, I, I can't do and tackle every issue and answer every question. But, Father, your spirit can. So I pray that even now, throughout the week, may you bring clarity for what it looks like to submit. Um, and as you do, um, may the women in here be willing to submit to what you've called them to. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Amen. So 
what we're going to transition to now is a time we um, like to call the reflection time. And what we mean by that, it's just going to be a time, not too long, where we want you to just sit and reflect on everything we've said, everything we've been exposed to. Um, you might have the passage in front of you and a Bible open, and you might read the passage again, or you might want to pray. Um, we have some married couples um, um, in the house today. And so this is a good time for you guys to maybe pray together and maybe um, um, as you've been reminded afresh what your role and responsibilities are, um, pray together and commit and ask the Lord to help you fulfill um, these instructions and commands um, in your life. And this time is a time where we value <laughs> as a church um, and you can easily be distracted. And so please take this time and really um, in... Uh, a biblical way really focus on Jesus and fix your eyes on Jesus and the truths that have been exposed to you and then um, when um, you've had enough time Dan and the team will indicate to you and um, to stand and begin to sing and as you sing may you know that you are singing truth not only for your soul but you are singing um, and teaching others as they hear you sing of truths that you need in your life to grow in your love and appreciation for Jesus.